everyone. Welcome to another episode of Campus Safety Voices. I'm Robin Hattersley, Editor-in-Chief of Campus Safety. One of the best ways to convince healthcare facility leadership of the need for a security, emergency management, or life safety system upgrade or change is to provide examples and data from other similar types of campuses of the success or failure of a particular type of technology, policy, or solution. However, when it comes to healthcare security, there currently isn't much data available that can prove or disprove a solution or strategy works. More often than not, a hospital security director must ask for a particular improvement without much evidence. And unfortunately saying, trust me, doesn't always convince hospital executives to go along with their suggestions. That's why the International Association for Healthcare Security and Safety has released three new publications. They are the New Guidelines on Incident Categories and Data Analysis, the IAHSS Healthcare Security Incident Category Framework, and the Healthcare Security Glossary of Terms. These documents lay the foundation for a more standardized and consistent approach to the collection and categorization of security incidents that take place in healthcare. The goal of IAEHSS publishing these documents is to improve hospitals' ability to compare incident data from facility to facility while driving evidence-based decisions that support the maintenance of a safe environment, the implementation of best practices, the growth of security program initiatives, and the implementation of safety and security related mitigations. Now, to help us make sense of all of this, I interviewed Tony York, who's Executive Vice President of Paladin Security and Pal American Security. He's also past IAHSS President and Board Member, and he helped develop these guidelines so he can definitely help us understand them a little bit better. So, without further ado, here's my interview with Tony. Enjoy the show. Be sure to subscribe to Campus Safety's YouTube channel and like or leave a comment on our videos. Or subscribe to our Campus Safety Voices podcast on Apple and Spotify and leave a review. So, Tony, recently I know the IAHSS released uh, three guides, uh, publications, I should say. New Guidelines on Incident Categories and Data Analysis, uh, the IAHSS Healthcare Security Incident Category Framework, and the Healthcare Security Glossary of Terms. So what are these documents or publications? You know, Robin, uh, the Incident Category Data Collection Framework began as one of our operational guidelines. Um, as many in the healthcare security industry know, IHSS has been producing uh, healthcare security industry guidelines now since uh, the mid-2000s. And this particular guideline was initially crafted and curated to really try to help everyone understand, hey, what should we be doing for instant categories? How should we be defining those? What should data collection look like? Because we're really trying to drive more evidence-based decision-making into the into the decision making that was happening inside of uh, how healthcare security projects were being funded to staffing and deployment uh, planning, et cetera, and so forth. But once we got deep into this process, Robin, it was really interesting to see because what ended up happening was something that was really a little bit unusual for folks to, 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 to really tackle. And that was, we realized we were really inconsistent with how we were collecting data 
from facility to facility, health system to health system. And then when you started talking about going over territorial lines, going over country lines, et cetera, we were inconsistent. So as a council, working closely with the data warehouse team within a IHSS, we realized it would be important to start trying to think about, could we actually, as an industry association, create one singular framework that everyone could follow? And thus, that's where this framework really began. And of course, like every good project, we had something else that happened. We started realizing we had this beautiful framework. We realized it was, uh, uh, we thought we had something that was really going to be adaptable. And then we realized, well, we better create a glossary of terms that goes with it. And making certain that we were all defining things in the same, same way, the same manner, just recognizing there was a little bit of differences. So that's really uh, the origin um, that took us about two and a half years to create. Using a multidisciplinary approach, we really got a lot of feedback from industries, uh, uh, from other trade associations, really trying to make certain we didn't make any kind of decisions like this in a vacuum. Um, so it was a good process. It was a good exercise. And we're really excited about uh, having this available to the industry. So why does the healthcare security community need a consistent approach to the collection and categorization of security incidents? Well, I would say um, the biggest reason is, is, is to try to help overcome what I like to refer to commonly as administrative preference or sometimes just individual bias that comes about what goes on um, inside of the decision-making for how resources are allocated. Um, in so many ways, Robin, when you start thinking about how decisions are getting made and really think about the broader healthcare community as a whole, healthcare is very evidence-based. It's, it's based on a science. But when we think about the security and what's happening today, it's much more of an art than it is a science. And as a result of that, we're finding that there's a lot of volatility and a lot of variation for what good security looks like. So what we wanted to try to do is start down this path of how could we make the security industry much more evidence-based? And I say security industry, I should be very specific, the healthcare security industry in particular, because what we wanted to be able to do was allow our colleagues the ability to say, this is what's happening at a facility that looks like mine. And we're having the ability to say, this is what deterrence looks like. And if you've ever thought about it for a moment, you know, we're in the business of making nothing happen in this healthcare security space. And when nothing happens, things are always good. But as a result of that, sometimes folks just think, well, that's just the nature of, of our environment. It was just the way things were, as opposed to compared and contrasted to that's actually a sign of the effectiveness of the security program and the programs that are being administered. So why do healthcare security executives need the ability to make like apples to apples comparisons of incident data among different facilities? And how does this help healthcare executives and their organizations as a whole? Well, that's a great question. And, and I think it starts really with understanding then, you know, if others are doing it, is that now the new industry standard or others doing something that I should be following? But because we've been dealing with a lot of administrative preferences, sometimes getting resources allocated in the security program can be very challenging. Other places might have a little bit easier of a time, but I think all of us have found that when others have seen that this is what they've done and how it's worked in their location, it's been much easier to talk to that finance committee of the board, to talk to the group that's being um, controlling those purse strings and being able to get funding available much more readily, whether that's for capital projects, 
for new hospital designs to uh, the staffing of, of a security program to just thinking about things that are about hey, what educational resources should we be investing in? Should we be using that force multiplier and what impacts has it been having? And, uh, you know, I, I hear that from um, schools and universities as well. So they want to see what other campuses or, or, the, or the organizations like them are doing. And so I think this really will, will help hospitals and healthcare facilities quite a bit. And it'll help um, healthcare security directors maybe with their 30-second elevator pitch to the, other, exactly. to the high executives, eh? I think you're right on target, and and you know, Robin, I'll share a, I'll share an example with you, one that I've I, I've shared a few times, but and and it really goes to administrative preference to the, the how decisions get made, and and in this particular instance, it was a hospital I'd been working with for many many years, who wanted a new CEO was in place. It's about three weeks into that individual's tenure. And he starts asking me about, well, why do we have all of these armed security officers running around here? And at this stage, I have a bit of a conversation with him. And then he quickly interrupted me and said, you know, Tony, I guess I probably should have rephrased my question. I really am not a fan of having all of these armed security officers around here. I'd really like to have them all disarm. Three weeks Afterwards, that decision was made, and you can imagine how well that was accepted by the frontline troops and everybody else who was a stakeholder to that decision. Fast forward is about four years later. I'm in the same hospital. I'm in the same executive boardroom. I'm one chair over from where I was previously, and I have a new CEO who I'm just onboarding with him. He was about the same time in his tenure, about four weeks in, and he looks at me and he says, after a good conversation, he says, and Mr. York, I just got to ask you a question. Why on God's green earth do I not have any farms anywhere in this location? Robin right there opened up my eyes to something that I think is really important, and that is the power of administrative preference. I could chat with them and say, hey, can I just share with you a story? But what I wasn't able to do was empower him with evidence that says armed security is the right move. Armed security is not the right move. The impacts that armed security was going to have to the reduction of events that were happening, to the perceptions of safety that his staff may or may not have been seeing. I'm, I, this is not about armed security, mind you, but it was a matter of saying we didn't have the justification to be able to say when we put these mitigations in place, these are the kind of outcomes we should be expecting. And ideally with what IHSS is trying to do with this broader data warehouse that we're still a few years away from really, I think, harnessing its power is something that I think will have a tremendous impact to those that will be in this space for years and years to come. It may be well after my career has um, has twilighted, but at the same time, I believe it's going to have a tremendous impact for those who are saying, this is why we're doing what we're doing. This is why we're in installing and investing in these types of mitigations. And I think that's going to be such a powerful difference maker for how we're resourcing these healthcare security programs and really measuring their effectiveness. Well, and also then we actually know what is effective and what's not effective. If you've got data behind it and you and you can compare different sizes of hospitals or healthcare facilities, then they can make those apples to apples comparisons, right? 
That's exactly right. I mean, right now we have very few capabilities of doing that. Uh, I mean, you start thinking about some of the crime forecasting programs that are sitting out there. I, I've used CAP index for most of my career, but that's one of the few things I can compare facility to facility to just show, hey, what kind of environment are we sitting in? But for the most part, we're not able to do that with the incidents that are happening um, directly. And so we can't really see the value um, of, of how this investment would be made. So we have to say to those that are looking at us and, well, how do you know this is going to work? Well, you gotta, we basically have to say, well, trust me on this. It's going to work. And that only goes so far, right? I mean, no matter how much research we've done for making certain that mitigation is, is the proper channel for how we keep that environment safe. And I think we're going to find that long-term, having more evidence-based decisioning will drive much better outcomes. I think it'll drive safer uh, environments. And I think we're gonna find getting the resourcing necessary to really do what we've always struggled with in this industry, at least in my 30 plus years of serving healthcare security, mm -hmm. getting the right level of resourcing it's just been a challenge. Uh, it, it's Value engineering has always been one of the terms we've had to deal with. And We've had to overcome and not to say that's the only reason to do it, but I think it's going to make getting resourcing for the security program so much easier because we'll be able to look at how others have done it and the outputs that they've been able to achieve and then determine, oh, is that what we want? And really be able to make it something that's much more of a risk tolerance level as opposed to administrative preference. Well, and also then you can identify the actual cost of, of security and, and what kind of money it may actually be saving too, because a lot of times it's, it's really hard to identify or, or put a cost to a crime that was prevented, right? Absolutely. That's so well said. You know, I, I say often, you know, it's hard to measure something that didn't happen. And we're in the business of making nothing happen. So when nothing happens, everyone just thinks it's because, you know, there were no issues instead of that's a demonstration of the effectiveness of the security program itself. So for the already overworked healthcare security professional, and we know there are a lot of them out there, in fact, most of them probably are, um, who is concerned that adopting this guidance will be a lot of hard work. What can you say to him or her to convince them that adopting this guidance is the right thing to do? Well, one, they're working harder than they ever have. Two, it is gonna take work. It's change. It's something that we're gonna to have to manage as a change management process. But I think we have to look at the long-term picture. Where do we want to see our programs in five years? Where do we want to see them in 10 years? How do we want to leave our environments for those that are going to follow in our footsteps? And I think it's going to be important because if we do it, we're going to see that we'll be able to achieve much better outcomes long-term and the efforts we're going to take now are going to well be worth the, the effort. I Oftentimes I'm, I'm asking myself, is the juice going to be worth the squeeze? And it will be in this circumstance. Now, for the healthcare facilities that participate, will their identifying information remain confidential? A absolutely. Uh, that's one of the biggest things uh, that I think we have had as an association and a desire for what we commonly refer to as our data warehouse project since inception. We don't want identifying information. We want the information that's going to help us understand what kind of facility is it like? Is it a level one safety net hospital? Is it a is it a community critical access facility? Those kinds of um, identifiers are important to us. <clears throat> Excuse me, so we can see how that changes. 
And in saying that, I think what we want is not to try to have someone be able to pull this information and identifying, oh, this is where this is at. As much as there are a lot of facilities that look like us. So how do we get an identifying with those individuals so that we can see, oh, they've put these mitigations in place. They are monitoring and look at the events that they have been experiencing. Metal screening would be a great example. We wouldn't want to identify every location that has metal screening. It might be possible to do if somebody really did the research. However, we want to be able to know that if that metal screening program was really in place, how did that impact outcomes once it was, the before and after picture? And that identifying information is what we're looking for, not the name of the facility, definitely not any information that's going to be any type of protected health information or anything of the like. It's a matter of really getting us the knowledge about, okay, what's happening in the various locations that are going to be uh, reporting into this data warehouse. So can you give some an example of how a healthcare security executive could down the road use this data to make the case for improved security at his or her organization? Oh, certainly. I, I think once we start having consistency in the data collection, we're going to find ourselves in a place where we're now able to see our events are happening. We have two times more uh, assaults happening at this location. Well, then we start looking at what we're doing for workplace violence prevention. And we start thinking about, okay, well, we haven't made the same investment as these other organizations have in the education of staff. Maybe we identified some of the high-risk staff, but we didn't make the same investment in for those that are more public-facing. And those organizations that have had lesser volumes have, and that will allow them to be able to identify that this is where we need to be spending some time and really identifying this is how we can actually reduce the, the, the negative events that are happening with an investment in to education and to training, et cetera. Uh, that's just one example. Um, I think a second example would be, I'll just go right back to something I think is a future trend inside of healthcare, and that's you know the use of metal screening as a whole. But right now, you know, what does the events look like inside of healthcare for an organization that has introduced metal screening into their organization versus one who hasn't when they both look characteristically similar based on uh, their crime indices, the other uh, uh, events that have been happening, the kind of patients that they've been seeing, the volume of uh, beds that they may have, et cetera, and so forth. And then be able to do some of that comparing and contrasting to be able to say, wow, look at what they've been able to do with this particular mitigation. And that's ideally where we want to send this information and be able to have that kind of understanding to know that when we are putting investments into the safeness of these organizations, that it's actually paying a dividend. And we can see that because of how other organizations have done something similar. So are there any other reasons hospitals should adopt this guidance? Well, other than we're encouraging them to as an industry association, um, uh, you know, I don't think we're going to see this become regulated. Uh, in fact, I hope it never becomes that. Uh, but I do think that what we want to be able to do is make it a better environment for every stakeholder that we have responsibility and oversight to, to really keep safe in that. I mean, the patients, the visitors, the staff, everyone who's in and out of these organizations at all times. But Robin, I think it's important that we're really chatting with these folks so that they understand that if we do this, it's gonna make their lives easier. 
long-term. They're going to have information at their fingertips that they don't have today. And it's going to make it so that they're able to argue for the resources that I think are going to make their environment safer. I'm, I'm convinced of that 100%. So where can healthcare security professionals get help on adopting this guidance as well as more information just generally about the IAHSS? Well, IAHS.org um, is a place, and, and I would say for anyone who's in healthcare security or has oversight of a healthcare security program at an administrative level, um, they or someone on their team should be a member of the association. Uh, this is information that's readily available to us as members. Um, this is information that was created and curated by the members themselves. Um, and if for someone who may be hearing this that's not a member of IHSS, it is something that can be acquired uh, from the association directly. And for those of you who are watching this on YouTube, um, we're going to have links to these uh, publications in uh, the description below. So, Tony, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Thanks, Robin. <laughs>